0: Good morning, church. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in two places. We're going to be in Matthew chapter nine today and Isaiah chapter fifty-eight. That's where we're going to be hanging out uh, this this morning as we take a look at fasting. Fasting is not something that we talk about a whole lot, and. Uh, Quite honestly, it's not something that I think we practice as much as uh, we ought to. Uh, maybe because that we don't understand it or, or take a picture, um, take the word from Scripture for what it's really for. But as we're talking about what it's like um, to be a part of a bigger relationship with our Creator God, with, with Jesus Christ, His Son. We, we need to look at fasting today. And, and to do that, I want to tell you a little story. Uh, Christy and I, many of you know, we've, we've grown up together, known each other for a long time. Uh, Growing up in high school, we went on many mission trips together, and some of our favorite involved construction work uh, as we did that literally everything I ever learned about construction work, I learned on mission trip, which is a really dangerous place to learn about constructions. There's no OSHA on mission trips, you know, there's no protections going on. And uh, so when we jumped into student ministry, I, I we wanted our kids in our youth ministry to be uh, have a missional mindset, to be a part of missions. And so we took them on a trip to to uh mississippi and our job was to to lead them when they got there they said hey who knows how to uh who knows how to roof or anything we're short some leaders i'm like well actually christy and i did you know we were just kind of sat talking like we've done it before they said great you're in charge i mean what i left out was the last time we did it i was 15 and so they put us in charge, and we're going through, and we're working on this roof. And, and just so you know, when we go on a mission trip, everybody uses a hammer and, and nails, right? This is how you lay shingles. You put it in. You beat your fingers to death and all that kind of thing. As we're getting through the week, I'm starting to wonder, are we going to make it? Like can we actually finish this house what happens when the week ends because everybody shuts down on Friday it was a hard rule Friday you are done what happens if this sweet lady that we're helping has three-fourths of a roof come Friday and I'm a little anxious obviously I don't know what I'm doing and we're we're hammering these nails as fast as we can but you know 10 teenagers and and an ill-equipped leader we're 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 not doing great and uh the the chief comes over overseeing all the projects and I said listen sincere question what happens if we don't make it he said oh you'll make it I said I appreciate that what happens if we don't make it I just can we stay late and whatnot and he says listen If it gets tight Friday morning, I'll have two guys come out here with nail guns and we'll finish this roof in about an hour. I said, What do you mean, nail guns for roof? I've been roofing since I was 15, I've never seen nail guns. (laughs) And he goes, Oh, we don't allow teenagers to use nail guns on the roof. So I said, Well, that makes perfect sense. I said, But we could have been, we could do three or four or five houses if we just got the right people out here. And and it was great. I, I remember the conversation. He said, Well, part of what we are here to do is bless this community. But the way that we do it matters. And so for the community to see, a bunch of people, teenagers, adults on a roof, giving of themselves, laughing, building relationships with one another and taking the time all week with the homeowner, with the neighbors. It's the fellowship of the mission that has a greater impact than the shingles on the roof. I thought, man, that's amazing. At the time, I still wasn't sure I agreed with it, quite honestly. I was like, 10 houses, we can fix them all up. But I read a, a quote um, from, from Henry Blackaby, and this is what it says. Religious activity apart from relationship with God is empty ritual. Religious activity without relationship with God is empty ritual. So, so when I read that, and I started thinking about our times is well, why, why do we want to do a mission well? What's the point of doing it well? I just wrote down, It's relationship. We wanna do it well because we wanna let the person know we value them as a person, as a brother and sister in Christ, as a creation, as an image bearer of God. We wanna let them know we're doing this well because we care about you. I I jotted down, why, why do we do it on time? Why do we do it in the time that we say? Why do we spend extra time but we always make sure we finish our mission projects? Well, because of relationships. We, we want to let people know that when, when believers who come in the name of Jesus Christ work together, we are going to let our yes be our yes and our no be our no. Why? Because it's important for us to know that we can depend on people who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and why do I need a hammer and a nail when someone could do everything with a nail gun? Well, relationship. Relationship. No matter how gifted we are, everyone has a part. Everyone plays a role. And when we do it together, we see God glorified. And, and that fellowship, that relationship fills that religious activity. That, that's the purpose of it. That's the meaning of it. When Scott's talking about going to Turkey, why, what are we going to Turkey for? Relationship. We want the gospel to be seen authentically in the relationships of the believers who go and be shared with the believers who we haven't even seen face-to-face yet so that an unbelieving world can see the authentic truth of Scripture lived out in relationship. And, And if we start looking at fasting as religious activity that is built in, saturated in, surrounded in relationship, it gives us a completely different mindset, a completely different model. You see, I think there are times when fasting, tithing, church attendance, prayer, they can feel like this checklist. And God Frames it in something that's so much better, so much deeper than that, in relationship. And so I want to look with me in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 9 with the call of Matthew, because I think that's where this idea is saturated. And I don't believe uh, in this gospel, that the Lord created the order and allowed it to come about randomly. So let's frame in fasting within the call of Matthew. Matthew chapter nine, let's just read verse nine and then we'll work our way slowly through it as we go. The Bible says this, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew, that would be the author of this gospel, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him think if if you and I want to step into as we talk about fasting today, I think this idea of follow me needs to be saturated and set in. That this wasn't Jesus just throwing out invitations. It, it, you know, today in our language, have you ever said to someone, hey, how's it going? Anyone ever said, How's it going, or how's your day been? Anyone immediately not listened and kept walking after you've said that? Hey, how you doing? if they answered you, it would surprise you, right? Because you've automatically moved on. It's just a salutation. It's just a, a, I want to let you know, I notice you kind of thing. Jesus saying, follow me, isn't just this salutation where, "Eh, maybe you'll like to follow me, maybe you will. It's a commanding statement. This is an invitation with authority behind it. So when he tells Matthew to follow him, in this moment, there is an authentic authoritative thought command and word that Matthew has to decide will I rebel against that or will I follow and the unique thing about this invitation is that the invitation isn't to read what I wrote the invitation isn't to um to give me money the invitation isn't to to do the it's the invitation to relationship. You see, church, when Jesus frames in this gospel story about um, the fasting, it's framed in this strong, authoritative command to follow him. You and I cannot please, impress, or appease God by religious activity alone. In fact, you, you can't please, press, or appease God with your best activity, whether it's religious or not. Because God is not in need of something from you. God is inviting you to be a part of his bigger picture. And so when we look at fasting, when we start to pull into that, we have to start asking a question, is do I have a relationship where I am following hard after Jesus Christ? The Bible says he walked by Matthew and he rose and Matthew followed him. He left what he was doing. Now, now look what happens immediately after this text in verse 10. Immediately, Jesus is challenged. And Jesus reclined, verse 10, at the table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors, sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need for a physician. But those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. See. In this moment, Jesus has said to Matthew, follow me. Not only has Matthew followed him, but now he's having fellowship with Christ at the table, dining and reclining. And the, the Pharisees come in and they say, this is unacceptable. You should be doing better religious activity than what you're doing. This relational uh, pouring out of yourself into these guys, this is not okay. In fact, what they're saying is, Jesus, you should be embracing something else. You should be embracing what we're talking about. And what Jesus says is you've got it all wrong. To follow me means you have to embrace my word. You have to let it sink into you. And he quotes a passage out of Hosea, Hosea chapter six. He says, go and learn what this means, which would have been an insult to the Pharisees. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, The Pharisees were fantastic at telling people what they ought to do and how they ought to do it. They held the keys to the kingdom as far as uh, the relationships were concerned. They knew all the right things to do, but it was void of relationship. And Jesus says, here, reclining at the table with sinners, here these sinners are embracing a relationship with me, and that in itself is the best. It makes what we're doing meaningful instead of just ritual. So why don't you go and and you learn what the scripture says in Hosea that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Now this would have been a hugely potent statement and that's where we're going to camp today a little bit but because we, before we get into fasting we need to really understand is this statement by God in Hosea repeated by Christ in Matthew does that mean that there's no need for sacrifice in the Christian life? does that mean to be merciful is at odds with sacrifice? Listen to what Matthew chapter 23 verse 23 says. You can write that down in your notes. Jesus is having another conversation with the Pharisees. This is what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, religious activity, for you tithe meant and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And in ways of what Jesus says, he says, you're tithing of the smallest thing. Could you imagine, ladies, you, you, have you ever seen like dill in the container at the store, right? Could you imagine figuring out what 10% of the dill you bought that day was and giving 10% in the offering place, this place would smell all kinds of fun. But, but could you imagine like the minute attention to detail that that would have taken? What Jesus says, he actually doesn't tell them not to tithe. He doesn't tell them not to sacrifice. He just says, you're neglecting the weightier thing that makes the sacrifice meaningful. You're, you're neglecting what is important that makes the sacrifice have value. The trap is, is that we turn a relationship with God into a meaningless checklist. Or maybe vice versa, that we say that there's no action I need to take because my relationship with God is all I need. You see, I think there's trappings that we look at that we say any religious activity is ritual and therefore evil and there's a group that would say, you know what? Let me do religious my, all my stuff. Let me check my checklist off and when I go to God, I will one will outweigh the other. And Jesus says, not only is that garbage, that is an unbiblical way to read God's word. Because quite honestly, our life should breathe into our relationship with God and by definition when we are in relationship with God following hard after him it creates a religious activity in the book of Isaiah the prophet is is being inspired by the spirit to write to the people and they're trying to fast and and to please God with their actions and I want you to listen if you have your Bible you can turn there with me to Isaiah chapter 58 verse 1 and 2 Isaiah chapter 58, verse one and two. The Bible says this, cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob, to their sin. So just for clarity's sake, this is to the people of God, right? This isn't to, to people who are outside of the family of God. Now here's what happens. They seek me, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me right they ask me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Now listen for listen to what he said, yet they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. That sounds like fantastic religious activity, doesn't it? I mean, you and I should not, not do these things. But there's a qualifier that relationship is missing. He says, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. As if they did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments and they, as they delight for me to draw near. Here's the problem. The, the people of, of God's people in Jacob and Israel... What they're doing is they're saying, God, we want you to come here. We like listening to you. We like gathering for church on the Sabbath. We like the rituals. We like, in fact, we're about to talk about fasting a little bit. We're going to get a little annoyed, God, because you're not answering what we're doing. We love all of these things. Draw near. Come near, Lord. And God says, you have no idea what you're asking. Because you're acting like your ritualism of religion is pleasing to me. So the problem is church—a ritual that lacks relationship and fellowship with God is empty. In the moment, it makes us feel like we're accomplishing something, but but that activity is cemented to be a rhythm of our relationship. To read about the Lord and to see how good and sweet he is, to close the Bible and to serve yourself is sin and rebellion. To fast all day long to starve yourself, to come to the altar and pray, to sit in church, to go to a small group, all of these things, to to tithe of the smallest thing in your life. If, If you do those things to check your list and you enjoy checking your list, you enjoy knowing the right things to do. If it doesn't flow into your life, And you don't begin to take on the characteristics and the qualities of the one whom those things are meant to help you establish and enjoy relationship with. What God says is, you don't want me to give you what you ask for. Today in our modern context, I I, I can't tell you how often, how easy it rolls off the tongue is if we say, come Lord Jesus, come. Church, if we were to look at that in context, and we were to look at our life and our relationship with God and our reflection of our life in relationship with God, when he shows up, would we really be that happy? Or would judgment come with him? Because it's just been ritual. It's just been routine. See, The warning in the Old Testament, the direction of Christ in the New Testament, is that the mercy God's desire is a quality and a characteristic that He has innately. It's part of who He is. It is not something that we have. And it only shows up in our life because of the time we spend with Him when we start to become Christ like, reflecting Him. See, mercy, not sacrifice. In Isaiah verse six and seven of chapter 58, God says this. Do you know the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of the wicked, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and you do not hide your excuse me and not to hide yourself from your own flesh you see when God speaks through Isaiah here he says the fast that he wants to see in your life is an emptying of yourself and a filling of himself inside of you in church, the word "fast" just so that you'll know, and we'll break for just a moment. The word "fast" really means the one who is empty. It means the one who is empty. Why, why do we fast? We fast to set aside something to give extra portion, extra attention to our relationship with God. It, if, if you were to do this One of my favorite quotes I've said it three or four times this week already Is actually from Don Quixote Don Quixote says The proof in the pudding is in the eating Right We always we say it in, in America The proof is in the pudding Right But the proof in the pudding is in the eating I, I heard a pastor share this with me 20 years ago and I thought this is the deal I can look at your pudding If you were to have a pudding contest At the chili cook-off next week And I'm a fan of pudding All right if you had a pudding contest and I were to look at them all and you were to say pastor which one is the best pudding how would I know I'd have to eat it I would have to prove I would have to prove that it was good I would have to do it by my taste buds by what's going on uh, Psalm 38 34 verse 8 says taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts him. How do you know the Lord is good? It's proving that in your relationship with him. It's tasting it. It's living it out. How do you know that fasting is not just a ritual? Is it producing the sweetness of God, of the relationship, of the proximity with God in your life? Because ritualism and fasting is only meaningful when it's a part of a bigger relationship. It can't earn you uh, any favors. After Jesus said this, in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 9, it says, the disciples of John came to him, the Pharisees are done talking, and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you do not fast? Saying, "Why, why, why do we fast, but you do not fast? Now, Before I assume we all know what fasting is, it does mean the one who is empty. But in scripture, it is an expectation of believers who follow the Lord. It just is. Throughout the scripture, Jesus doesn't talk about if. He talks about when you fast. And fasting, just a quick little, so we're all on the same page. There are different types of fasts. One, there's public fasts, and there's private fasts. The private fast is what is individual. When Christ says, when you fast, don't let anybody know what's going on. Clean yourself up and, and don't just keep it a secret. That's a private fast. A public fast or a national fast is one where God's, God's leader or a national leader calls a fast for the whole people about something specific. So, those are the two types of fasts in the, in the, in the Bible. But then within that, there's a normal fast, and a normal fast you find in Scripture talking about abstaining from food but not from liquids. That would be kind of the normal fast. An absolute fast would be no food or liquid. That's talked about in Scripture for a period of time. We, we would look at a partial fast. If you read Daniel, the Daniel fast is pretty hip and trendy right now, right? It's abstaining from particular things, but not necessarily all foods. Those are different types of fast. Uh, there's one, I want to be very careful. Someone's asked me, um, what about fasting from things that are not food? The, the, uh, the kind of the closest picture I can give you of that uh, is in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians um, the Bible gives us permission for a husband and wife to fast from intimacy for a short period of time, as long as they're in agreement, in order to seek the Lord particularly about something together in oneness. Um, but, but that would be the closest picture of it, um, that, that I could give you that something is outside of food and that's a very tricky one because it has to be done in agreement. Uh, the wife doesn't get to say, I am fasting for the next six months. That's not biblical. So, so those are different kinds of fasts but every fast, every single one church is about relationship. If you look in scripture It's fasting because your sin has alienated you in your relationship with God. It's fasting to remind you and to say out loud God, I need to rely on you more. Fasting is not a way to earn God's favor. It's a way to confess God's goodness. Fasting is, Lord, I exalt you in my life. Fasting with with a joyful attitude or with mourning is saying, God, I submit in my relationship to you. You take the lead. There's not a fast there's not a fast from the people of God that is not about relationship even if you go outside of it to Job and to the people of excuse me to Jonah and the people of Nineveh what do they do they fast why because they have messed up with a relationship with a God that is foreign to them and they all know what they're doing but they're like God whatever we have done we want to make it right When you fast, it's about relationship, church. Knowing this reality, it should change the way that we fast. Chew on that for just a moment. I, I think about the Sabbath when it comes to that. Why is the Sabbath important? Every day is holy to the Lord, right? Absolutely it is. But God knows, you and I need to set aside special time to just have us. Not to please ourselves, not to be about ourselves, just to have me time, focus time. And with our children... With with them growing up, we've always been intentional. There are just certain times where we need some father-son time, father-daughter time, mother-son, mother-daughter time, where where it just needs to be us. It's not that we don't like the other person or the other people around, but we know that we just need some extra focus on that relationship. When we fast, what we're saying is, God, you are so important to me. I just wanna empty myself of a few things that normally capture my attention and I want to make extra time to draw near to you. See, see, fasting is relationally embracing the Lord, drawing in close and allowing his traits, his qualities, his character, his spirit to just wash over you. So, when Jesus says God desires mercy, not sacrifice, when we realize that mercy is one of the traits and characteristics of God in our life, I'm not sure it's sacrifice anymore. Have you thought about that? When you come to church on Sunday morning, why do you come? COVID has given everyone an excuse. I meet hundreds of people that watch us online. If you're watching with us online, well done. But I know how many views watch our service online. So there are a couple of hundred that are not being completely honest. COVID's given us a reason not to come to church. It's it's no longer socially unacceptable to say I don't gather with God's people on Sunday morning. It's socially acceptable. So why do you come? I know for us, in my family, when we're not with you, something feels wrong. It feels like I am missing out on a piece of me because it's not sacrifice to get up in the morning. In fact, when we don't have uh, life groups on Sunday morning, our family still gets up at seven and wonders what do we do for the next two hours? You see, in our life, God has shown us, this is one of the times when we empty ourselves from TV, from phones, And his focus becomes central. And it's become so sweet that we don't ever want to be without it. Here's what I want you to know. When you fast, as you walk with the Lord, it becomes sweet like that. It becomes meaningful like that because God is better than that turkey sandwich you were gonna have for lunch. The the, the relationship with God is more meaningful than your regular routine of coffee at 7.23 every morning. So it's not a sacrifice. And so here's my challenge to you this morning. In, In your book, you'll find it there. Ask the Lord to help you set a time in the next couple of weeks to fast. Maybe just from sunup to sundown. And don't just wonder what you should do. If you don't know what to do, just think, what do I need to do to draw near to the Lord? Let me just start reading the word. Let me take a walk and, and look how God is incredible in creation. Let me find a Christian to have a conversation with or fill that space with the Lord and see what happens here's the beautiful thing fasting is only for a season here's what the Bible says Jesus says in verse 15 can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Here's the beauty. There won't be fasting in heaven. That, that's an amen moment, right? There won't be. Because the bridegroom will be present for eternity. There will be feasting, not fasting. Because we, we won't need to make s- extra space because our all in all, perfectly, not in a mirror dimly, but wholly, you will be with the Lord but to help you anticipate how good that day will be you and I should fast regularly here because it will whet your appetite for what it's like to live in the presence of God, it will make you long for eternity so for our invitation today let me just invite you I don't know where you are I don't know what brought you in the door today. But there are no rituals that will open the gates of heaven for you. There is simply one relationship. And I believe the spirit this morning is sharing the words of Christ for you to follow him, to forsake what you have held on to and to draw near and embrace his word confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've walked in this room and that has never been known to you this morning, I just challenge you, start there. We'll worry about fasting later. But if you're a believer and you've been struggling in your relationship with God, if it's been unusually distant, maybe this week is the time. Maybe there's a Tuesday, sun up to sundown to let go of something that normally gives you nourishment to cling to the one who completely fills your soul. Let's pray. Father God, Uh, we love you. Lord, this morning as we come to you, um, Lord, we, we know that we're often a people who lack discipline and that makes sense of why we feel so distant from you. Father, we focus on sacrifice and not your characteristics, your qualities, your mercy. We stop tasting and seeing how good you are. And so Father God, I just pray as a church that we would be reminded that we are part of something bigger and that in fasting, God, in fasting, Lord, your spirit ministers to us, reclines with us in a unique way. Lord, not earning your favor, but changing our spirits, changing our hearts. Father, if there's anyone in this room that has not known what it is like to taste and see that you are good, Lord, I pray that you would help it begin not with a ritual, not with a routine, but with a relationship in Jesus Christ. Pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church, this morning?